So, yeah, that was a clip from The Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela, a man who had a clear purpose and who was prepared to give everything to achieve his purpose. And Nelson Mandela was inspired by the teachings and the example of Jesus, who too had a purpose for his life. Jesus announced his purpose reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and I'm going to take the reading from Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus came to conquer death. He came to save humanity and announced that the kingdom of God was near. And he invited us to repent and follow him. An important purpose. Um, And I place value on my own purposes and my own ambitions. You know, I have ambitions to provide for my family, to share about Jesus, particularly with people who perhaps don't know him yet, to go to beautiful places, to climb mountains. And I believe that God has ordained many of these purposes. But despite the, maybe the merits of some of my God-ordained purposes, um, I believe that Jesus had the most important purpose excuse me, of all time. My purposes pale into insignificance if measured against his. And we're going to look together at how Jesus behaved whilst fulfilling his purpose and how Jesus relied on being obedient to God to fulfill his purpose. How Jesus chose to spend his time is fascinating. If I was in charge of announcing that the kingdom of God was near, I would go for the big impact. I'd go for the influential places, the cities where people were going to hear me, so that I would get maximum exposure for the message that I wanted to share. Yet Jesus frequently avoids the busy places and opts for small towns. He spends much of his time with outsiders. Uh, he, he spends time with people that society wouldn't even consider as credible witnesses to the message. Shepherds, women, children, the infirm, tax collectors. And as Matt alluded to earlier, often when he heals people, he encouraged them or asked them, do not share that this has happened. And actually, he spends the vast majority of his time with just 12 people. His focus is on a relationship with those 12 disciples and instilling in them the values of the kingdom, despite the fact that they spend much of their time with absolutely no clue what he is saying and really misunderstanding much of his teaching. Even the way he talks using parables is deliberately confusing for many. This to me seems like a backward strategy It seems like a mission destined to fail, yet we know that it did not fail. Mark 5, um, which is verses 21 to 43, I'm going to use the the story of Jairus and his daughter as well. And um, yeah, Jairus was a leader. He was a person of note and he comes and pleads at Jesus' feet, sharing that his daughter will die without Jesus' miraculous intervention. 
This is a pressing issue. The girl is going to die imminently. Jesus agrees that this should be his purpose, and they begin making their way to Jairus' home. But en route, a woman, the bleeding woman, touches the hem of his garment and is healed. Now remember, we're in a rush. A child is dying, and the bleeding woman has just been healed by touching Jesus' hem. Yet he stops, and he talks to the woman. He, he teaches her. He encourages her. He endorses the fact that her risk has healed her. The bleeding woman has a chronic condition. It's been going on for many years. If, if Jesus were a, 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 like a doctor in a hospital and he had two patients and he chose to heal the woman first, he probably would have been sued for malpractice. But Jesus is on a mission and at that particular time, his purpose is healing Jairus' daughter. But it's not limited to that. He is open to the other people who want to follow him on the journey. I'm, I'm going to use another video clip. The, the main thrust of this talk, I'm going to stick with Nelson Mandela. But I'm actually going to jump back to Selma and Martin Luther King because I think this particular clip depicts wonderfully a man acting from a place of patience, being courageous with a patient heart. So we're going to go back to Selma and Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King, as we saw this morning, had come to Selma to get national and international recognition of the mistreatment and the lack of rights of black-skinned Americans. And this march was his perfect chance. It was the moment that he had been planning and strategizing for. Yet he had the composure of mind and the discernment to hear from God. He kneels, then he prays, and then he walks away. His life's mission, with literally thousands of people around him, and an overwhelming pressure to continue, yet Martin Luther King turns around. This is a phenomenal act of patience and obedience. It's the character of a man shaped by God who chooses God's will over his own desire, who's prepared to be the brunt of other people's scorn for what was the right and the wise choice. This is patience courageously in action. Jesus' primary purpose was to come to the Jews we see the the kind of expansion into the Gentile world after his ascension in the book of Acts. But in both Matthew 15 and in Mark 7, we get a glimpse of how Jesus responds to a Gentile. To set the scene, we've got a sobbing, desperate mother with a demon-possessed daughter. It's loud, there's an invasive beg for help, and there's all the cultural dynamite of engaging with a Gentile woman. The woman addresses Jesus as um, Lord and Son of David. That's a Jewish title. She has heard of Jesus and she believes that he can help heal her daughter. Interestingly, she asks Jesus to have mercy on me. She has reached the end of her tether with her uh, possessed daughter and she is desperate for her own sake as well as her afflicted daughter. And then there's a slightly unusual interaction. You could even say that Jesus is seemingly quite reluctant to engage. But I read a fascinating book 
um, some years ago called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And it taught how Jesus' seeming resistance was for two purposes. One was to test the woman's faith. But secondly, it was an expose of the disciples' prejudice towards women and Gentiles. The disciples wanted the problem to go away. They wanted peace. They were unaccustomed to women interrupting their day, and certainly not Gentiles. And so Jesus uses this provocative parable. Is it fair to take the children's bread and feed it to the little dogs? Now, dogs were not cute pets. They were scavenging wild animals who ate from the rubbish heaps. This is insulting language aimed at shining a light on the deep-held prejudices of the male Jews. Yet her response whilst kneeling at Jesus' feet with tear-stained eyes is to say that even the dogs eat the crumbs beneath the children's table. She's determined. She's not perturbed or offended by the name dog. In fact, she owns it. She demonstrates faith that even a lowly Gentile woman with a demonised daughter can be healed by Jesus. And she is absolutely right. O woman of great faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter is healed instantly. Jesus shows how he really feels about those deemed on the margins. He shows the disciples how their prejudices were wrong and unjust. And he cares for both the daughter and the mother as caregiver by addressing her plea. I love that despite the fact Jesus had a clear mission, he is prepared to give time and energy elsewhere. He's willing to be distracted and show care aside from his primary purpose. We're going to go back to to Nelson Mandela and the long walk to freedom. Nelson Mandela suffered incredible hardship. He was isolated. He missed his children growing up. His wife was tortured and he himself was imprisoned and mistreated. Yet he rises above that pain to forgive and empower others not to take revenge. I use this video to show a man who's, hard, who's had hardship, but he chooses the patient, enduring response rather than the impatient lashing out with revenge. I mean, sadly, we don't have any video coverage of Jesus, but we do have stories of his character. And I think that there's a, a story in Matthew 14 that shows he, he had remarkable patience and restraint. Jesus' cousin, uh, John the Baptist, had just been murdered. And Jesus uh, withdraws to a solitary place, but crowds of people follow him. If I had lost someone dear to me, I would not want strangers who want to take from me to be interrupting my, uh, my time of grief. Yet Jesus has compassion on the crowds and he takes time to heal them. As the evening draws, for me, the rational thing to do would be to send people home to allow him some more time to process the loss of John. But instead, he continues to show compassion and instead he opts to feed the crowd miraculously with bread and fish. From a human perspective, this whole scenario, I would say, gives him legitimate excuse to just choose selfishness, to just choose his own agenda 
But in the midst of trauma, Jesus shows compassion. He takes time to serve others rather than to think of himself. And I contrast that with my mindset, the the excuses that I give to give legitimacy to my impatience and my selfishness. I've had a bad day. I'm run down. Someone has wronged me. So therefore, I justify being unreasonable and grumpy with my family. Yet here is Jesus modelling that in the spirit's strength, even in the midst of tragedy, he and we can be patient and kind to others beyond what is expected. So what does patience look like in our lives? Well, when we were deciding who was going to do which talk, I volunteered to do the talk about patience because honestly, up until fairly recently, I just viewed patience as something of a weakness. I viewed it as something that meant you were slow and inefficient. And I took pride, going back to pride, in my ability to get things done, to multitask and be efficient. But it meant that I never slowed down. It meant that I would crash out exhausted and my only Sabbath would be the sickbed. I would get frustrated when others wanted to be more leisurely than I did. But actually getting married and having children has forced me to slow down. I've had to prioritise them and the rhythms of their life. And it's begun to teach me to appreciate patience. Patience is often defined as being tolerant without becoming annoyed or anxious. Other places, patience is referred to as not becoming angry when provoked, calmness and self-restraint. These are things that do not come naturally to me at all. I'm frequently intolerant when things don't go to plan. I get annoyed and anxious with delays and with mistakes, either mistakes I make or mistakes that others around me make. But I'm learning that patience isn't just about slowing down. Patience is a healthy place for my soul. Living patiently removes anxiety and it builds contentment. And it's from this place of contentment and security that we can engage fully with others and give them the absolute focus instead of being distracted and concerned with my own plans and agendas. Matthew 5, 5 says... You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. I'm just going to read that again. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Um, I'm going to use my home life as an example of where, I guess, patience has been required in my life. I've got two daughters. Evie is seven and Lila has just turned three. And they are, they're wonderful, they're full of life, they're big, strong characters, big personalities. Um, But Lila took the terrible twos incredibly seriously. In fact, she started practicing it from about the age of 16 months. And, you know, I jest, and obviously, of course, in in the most part, she is a delight. But from the age of about 16 months, she was a tantrumer. 
And if any of you have ever seen a child lose it inexplicably over the fact that you accidentally gave them the wrong spoon or they, you shut the car door and they wanted to do it, will know that that tries your patience. And actually, for almost, well, probably over 20 months now, she has been tantruming. Those tantrums have often been anything from two to five times a day. It's ranged from 20 minutes to over an hour. Um, and they're loud. They're relentless. They've impacted our whole family. They've come out of nowhere, and they seem to last for eternity. And actually, remaining calm when your child is hitting you in the face or screaming at you over something innocuous or really something selfish has pushed my patience and sometimes sent it over the edge. But over time, Emily and I have noticed that slowing down and focusing on Lila reduces the tantrums. It doesn't eradicate them. She probably still does tantrum most days, but it's much less. But it also, I think it's modelling to Lila that to engage with her and not be distracted by our own lives and agenda models to her clearly that she is important, that she's more important than our own agendas. Um, I'm going to use a clip. It's um, an author that I really love uh, called John Mark Comer, and he's talking about uh, the wise counsel of Dallas Willard for an upcoming book that he's going to write. Yeah, so that is the wise counsel of Dallas Willard when asked what is the single most important thing for us as disciples to do, he said ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And that is counsel that I've been gradually and slowly kind of working on myself Uh, and being a dad has certainly forced my hand in that respect. Um, And I've placed such purpose on hurry that I often have not valued restraint and I've seen that sometimes seep unhealthily into areas of my life I think about my eating habits I'm someone who wolfs their food down and actually that's unhealthy for my wider life when it gets to the weekend I want to fill it with fun but actually if my wife wants to take the morning at a slower pace or my children take a long time to eat their breakfast or get dressed as they inevitably do I get cross and frustrated that it's impacting on the plans that I had. And quickly, I get angry and I fall out with my family and I spoil the mood. But Jesus is teaching me that I don't have to fit everything in now. I can be content just pottering around the house and focusing on time with my family. I don't have to go to far-flung places. And actually, more recently, we've holidayed in the Isles of Scilly, which has just been a slower slower pace. It's been a really beautiful, kind of fun place to go with the family. And I think a large part of this lesson for me has been an eternal perspective. God doesn't operate within the same time constraints as we do. Jesus obviously did as a man, but he had a true knowledge that this life is merely a fraction of eternity, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth where I can adventure for all time. So going back to that story of Jairus' daughter, whilst Jesus is talking to the now no longer bleeding woman, news comes that Jairus' daughter has died. But Jesus responds, trust me, And everything will be all right. He knew the end of the story did not end with her death. 
And sure enough, he heals the girl and conquers her premature end. I think many of us view our purposes within the context of this life. But if Jesus had that view, his mission would have ended with a brutal and humiliating death. Yet he saw the eternal perspective. He saw that three days later, he would conquer death. And our lives will continue into eternity. This human life is preparing us for a wonderful Satan-free existence. But our true, where our true selves will be free, they will be filled with the truth of God. But I think that we can learn much of that and experience much of that in our lives here and now. The message, uh, the book of Matthew 19, it calls the kingdom of God the great reversal, where the first is last and the last first, where being patient and discerning God's will for your life will redefine your purpose to a kingdom purpose. We're going to use, um, I think it's the final video. It is the final video we're going to use again from Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, in a worldly sense, lost 27 years of his life. But actually, he did still live those years. And God, I believe, made good of those years. He shaped his character. He built his relationship with Jesus. And Nelson Mandela was uniquely aware of time and the time where his own civil liberties were taken. Yet he gained a mature eternal perspective he saw the good the hope and the peaceful conclusion to the battle he began with violence he was an inspirational leader shaped in the brutal surroundings of prison who demonstrated peace despite the fact that he had been wronged despite the fact that his own personal mission had been sidetracked he could fulfill his purpose patiently How many of you find time alone with God difficult? (laughs) I wasn't necessarily asking for a show of hands, but thank you for your bravery. And I think probably we would, many of us would say that's the case. You know, how many of you find silence and the absence of distractions challenging? We live in a society now, particularly with our telephones, where we've got distractions on our, perp- on our person constantly. You know, when Emily puts the kettle on, out comes the phone. When I nip to the loo, out comes the phone. And I'm often challenged to use these times to perhaps pray or give some, t- some space to God. Yet instead of carving out that time with God, I check the BBC Football website or I try and watch highlights of football. And... Even when I was writing this talk, I was getting distracted with the Rugby World Cup on a fairly regular basis, which rather hit home the point. Um, but, and actually, I've decided um, that I want... That, uh, that I made this decision probably a couple of months ago that I'm going to stop using my mobile phone when my children are awake. So I do use it at work, and I do use it after my children have gone to bed. But actually, I don't want to be on my phone when my kids are around at the weekend and in the evenings. And honestly, it's been hard. I realised that I was addicted to my phone. Giving it up felt like almost like a junkie kind of coming off something that I needed. 
And the reality is, when you stop, you then give your time to something else. And often, that's giving my time to my little girls, and I'm doing things that, bluntly, are pretty boring. I'm kind of holding their legs while they do handstands, or I'm, I don't know, watching my daughter paint, and she's free, so she can't paint. So actually, it's, you know, it's quite tedious, but actually, it's genuine quality time with them, and it's showing to them they are more, more important than the BBC Football website. And that hopefully will have a lasting positive impact on their lives. And I think a, a lasting positive impact on my life as well. Jesus cultivated time with his father and that allowed him to understand his real purpose. And I'm gradually learning that patience is positive. It's a gift of contentment over anxiety. It's savouring over instant gratification. It's focus over distraction. So to conclude, Jesus had a purpose. I believe the ultimate purpose. But he was totally at ease making time for other people over completing his agenda. He had an eternal perspective and a natural patience that overcame personal inconvenience. Jesus achieved his purpose, but he did it on a very, very different timeline to us. The reality is we know very little of the first 30 years of his life. And even those final sort of two or three years that are documented, it's, the, the, it's only the last few weeks that get the vast majority of, of kind of the recording in the Bible. Jesus was patient. He did not hurry. He looked people in the eye free from distraction and free from his own agenda. And actually, as I've explored patience, I've realised that hurry and impatience have caused me anxiety, they've caused me frustration, and it's caused me intolerance. Whilst patience has brought me closer and a richer relationship with the people I love most, including Jesus. So I challenge you, just as Dallas Willard said to ruthlessly eliminate hurry and embrace patience and live out your own purposes with the eternal perspective that Jesus so wonderfully modelled. Jesus is purposeful yet patient.